I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. I was blown away when I first came across my next guest, Jen Harper. Jennifer is a 2019 Chanelaine Woman of the Year. She is a mother, a proud Indigenous woman, and the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty. Cheekbone is a cruelty-free makeup brand that gives 10% of all profits to support Indigenous education and the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society. Jen and her family have overcome so much, and there is a reason she is garnering the attention that she is. Stay tuned to hear what this brilliant woman has to say. I am so thrilled to get to share her story. Jen, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad we could make this happen, especially this time of year, with the madness. Yes, super, super busy, but it's good. It's good to be busy. I don't want to complain about being busy. <laughs> so tell us, who is Jen? Oh my God. <laughs> That's always such a funny question, but <laughs> I, I'm a mom a wife and I'm an indigenous woman who lives in the Niagara region, which is just literally across the lake from, from you guys in Toronto. But I'm in the city quite a bit because we do tons of work around this golden horseshoe. Mm-hmm. And I don't, know, I don't know what else to say about me. You're an entrepreneur? Yes. I forget that part right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Cheekbone, what led you to want to create this company? Yeah, it's such a long story, and I but I'll try to tell it like as quickly as possible. <laughs> so I literally, I think you know, I've heard you know journalists write stuff about you, and you know sometimes you're involved in it, and sometimes you're not. So one person had written something about like the accidental entrepreneur, which I think really, really is proving to be true. I don't <laughs> even think I know what this word meant or what it was, or even heard of it until I got into it. And I'd always worked for other people for my entire career in in sales or marketing. So I was working for other companies. So I don't really have much experience in business. The only thing I think I now looking back is realizing when you're in a sales role, which I did a lot of cold calling in my my first portion of my sales career, which really builds up your tenacity and your ability to handle (laughs) saying no and then realizing when you're a commission-based salesperson, which I was at, at Cisco, really was contingent, you know, money to pay your bills was contingent on customers saying wow. yes. So you get really, I think, creative in terms of, you know, having conversations and, and getting really good at asking questions to figure out the needs of people. And then a big part of it was really deeply understanding at the end of that, that part of my career, you know, my customers appreciated me as much as I obviously appreciated them. And it was really based on this relationship that I had built with them because I actually cared about them and their businesses, which mm-hmm. is now I see it is really, really important and really proved to why I had a, a pretty successful career in that. And then stumbling in now into this path and taking all of those skills into what I'm trying to build with Cheekbone. 
And so how that started was literally like a dream. And I, I always laugh because it sounds so silly, but it was 2015 and I like wake up in the middle of the cold January night and I had just had this dream. And in the dream, there's all of these native little girls and they were covered in lip gloss and they were laughing and <laughs> they had the rosiest little cheeks. And I grabbed my laptop that night and literally started writing what I now know is, is a business plan that still lives. I always call it like my living, moving thing because it, it changed. It has changed dramatically over the years. Um, but way back then, the, after that dream, the plan was, okay, like I'm going to make lip gloss. So number one, figuring that part out. Mm-hmm. And then two was the really important part. And the reason why Cheekbone exists was, was about creating this foundation and getting a proper education to Indigenous youth. And my grandmother, who was a residential school survivor, and if Canadians don't know um, what that is, they should. It is a system that was designed to ultimately assimilate Indigenous people into what would be known as a Canadian culture or more civilized culture. So my grandmother was forced to attend one of those schools, and that dramatically changed the trajectory of my life, my all of my family's lives, and many, many First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities um, across North America, because this problem exists in the United States as well. And so what that did was dismantle and disrupt a culture, didn't allow people to be who they were supposed to be. And it has a lot of effects in which I now know in is a term that's called transgenerational trauma. So the trauma that my grandparents both experienced in residential school was ultimately passed on to me and my brother, which caused in my life plentiful of personal problems, including alcoholism, which I overcame in 2014, and then mm-hmm. losing my brother to suicide in 2016, just before launching Cheekbone Beauty, has really been like the driving force of what keeps me going. I have had some incredible conversations with him um, prior to his death. And one being, he was a youth counselor in our First Nation community in Northwestern Ontario. And he talked a lot about these kids that they just need like hope. And his like one statement that literally runs through my mind every single day was, Jen, like these kids need hope. And what you are doing with this company, when I let him know about taking a portion of the profits and putting it towards education and then actually just creating awareness and ultimately creating a brand that these kids can see themselves in and be empowered by was a big part of it. And he said, it's, it's going to be great. And so um, on those days when every entrepreneur, if they listen, if their li- entrepreneurs are listening, we all understand those days when you like feel like just throwing in the towel, which last mm-hmm. week for me has been one of them because we're having formulation problems. It's, I have to keep going. I can't give up. You know, we're making an impact on people in our community now. And I realize that it's been really powerful what we've been able to do with, with lipsticks. So that keeps me fighting and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Wow. I get your, so your brother commit suicide in 2016. Did you know that he was struggling? No. Well, I didn't at the time, but of course, I think any person that has been through this, they look back and they see all the signs, right? Mm -hmm. So he is the epitome of that happy, hilarious, go-lucky kind of person. Very like when I think about someone like Robin Williams who took his own life, I think hid a lot behind humor, right? But so there's a lot of pain, obviously. And it, it's the sad truth, which which is so is just so real. It's in this country. This is like 
an epidemic on many reservations. Like this isn't isolated. This is a big, big problem amongst our communities and it, it has to be addressed and talked about. And, you know, if we can go into the resources and everything that people would need in order to struggle and survive through this this problem and suicide is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. We know it's, it's statistically, it's a much bigger problem in First Nations communities, but then the more research I do, it's a big problem everywhere and specifically with our youth and we're suffering through like mental health crisis at, at this moment. And it's about, I think, creating things for people that provide hope, right? And empowerment in some way and make these conversations available like so that people could talk about things like suicide and it doesn't have to be this ugly, scary, uncomfortable conversation that it should be something that people can talk about. Mm-hmm. Have you found that it's higher, the percentages with First Nations? Yes. And I, so I don't have the numbers, but mm-hmm. it is, the, the percentage is much, much higher. Wow. Do you have any idea why that might be? Have you ever been to a First Nation community? I haven't, but my cousin is First Nations and she's told me a bit about it over the years, but I have never been to one myself. Yeah. So in, I mean, I think it would be shocking for a lot of Canadians if they were to actually visit a Northern remote Canadian reservation (laughs) as beautiful. So this is the interesting part. My husband had never been and neither had my children. I've only ever been. So when we went to my brother's funeral, that is the first time. And I was estranged from my indigenous family, my father specifically for a really, really long time. And we had just reconnected once I got healthy. But anyway, the first time my family had been back to our, my family's reservation, my husband who's never speechless, didn't talk very much. And the place is beautiful because you're on Lake of the Woods, you're in surrounded by the boreal forest. But then you notice, you know, there's there's no clean drinking water. People can't, uh, that's a common problem as well amongst many First Nations. And it's about just the road like changes, like you're on, you know, this federally funded highway. And then all of a sudden you're driving into a reservation and the road even changes. And it's funny that my teenage son at the time is the one that noticed that. But he also, in, from a kid's perspective, he noticed how beautiful the place is and how beautiful the land is. But it's, um, you know, there's a lot of poverty and that, mm. it, that is evident and you, and you feel that and you see that as, as beautiful as the people are in my family is. And then you know deeper about issues. Like my dad was talking to me about just the soil and how there's, many people in our family's reservation that are suffering from respiratory issues because of something that's obviously being digged up when they dig into the land there and it's causing respiratory problems. And then you think of, okay, I'm like, what's up there? Well, there's tons of pulp and paper mills and what is that doing to the land and what kind of can, like I'm, that's where my mind was going, well, why is this happening? And then the water in itself is, is being polluted by these, these facilities as well. So Aesthetically, to look, it looks beautiful, but then in the people themselves, like my family, you know, we struggle and there was many, many struggles for many, many years. And I know lots of families still struggle with with whether it be abuse of substances of any kind. And then what what usually happens in a community that is marginalized and impoverished, that's why suicide, when it's like that, that feeling of hopelessness, that there's, there's no answer or no way out, right? And um, I don't have all the answers or understand everybody's situation and everybody's situation in, in every community is different. I just know my personal situation. When I, when I realized personally that that there was this thing called transgenerational trauma. And when I read 
what is called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is this final report that was put out in 2015 on the impacts of residential school in Canada. It was mind-blowing, and it was you know, something I had never read before. I was never taught any of this in school, so I never understood why my family and myself had the, these problems or these issues. And, and, and I guess sometimes understanding why really helps you overcome something. It's like, okay, this is why this happened. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I do to, to need to do in order to fix that? And I think that's what had helped me heal. It's what has helped me heal all along on my journey. So I think when we get a better understanding of that, it's going to create different opportunities for Indigenous youth. And I see I see that now, like I'm really, really proud and honored to know so many of these young Indigenous people that are creating amazing new things. And I'm just not even like through business, whichever career path or education path they're on, they're really armed and ready to make big changes. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the future brings. Wow. It's, you <laughs> yeah, know. And, I, and this is about lipstick, right? <laughs> I always say like, Everyone that I get to meet or have a conversation with, they're always like, this is insane because this is really nothing about lipstick, what you're doing. And I'm like, no, not at all. It's like, it's so, so much deeper. It is so much deeper. But I think when you have a driving force like this, it makes it, it makes you so much more unstoppable. Like you were saying last week, how you were struggling when we have a backstory. Because I lost my sister as well. Like a a sibling, I lost her in 2011. And so I know that having that driving force through, you know, the days when I wanted to give up Mm. has just made it impossible to do so, you know, because it's so true. Sometimes I'll get mad. I'm like, oh, like, like, like why I'm, I, you know, that's, these are like, I'm sharing, this is really personal, but I'll be like in my head, like, BJ, why did you have to say that to me? Right? Like (laughs) all the things I'm like, it could be easy for me to walk away if you didn't say certain things to me. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then it's like, too, I feel like I've got to live for her. And I'm like, if, if I think about the things that she went through and had to overcome, it's like, okay, well, this problem in hindsight is minor. Like yeah. suck it up oh. and pull up, you know, pull up your big girl pants. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, no excuses. So with cheekbone, do you do you plan on expanding it to, you know, beyond lipsticks? Yeah, one day if I could, if we could make a lipstick properly, yes, one day. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> kidding. We're just like had our stability tested. Lipsticks came back from the lab, and there's like blooming, which is there's three reasons why that could happen. It's like could be microbial, it could be just separation of oils and waxes. Because lipstick is a pretty, it's actually pretty bait. Like I'm not a scientist, and and I'm super simple when it comes to understanding things. And I was like, realized lipstick is not that hard to make, right? And then now I'm like, yes, it actually is. (laughs) And especially when you're trying to do it with more natural, quote unquote, natural ingredients and finding, you know, raw ingredients that are going to not affect our ecosystems and um, be more sustainable, which is the ultimate goal for all the new products that we're making. Um, So yeah, there is more, more coming, but I'm like, right now it's just laser focused on trying to get this one right. And at the same time, you know, as the CEO or the person who's doing everything and that come when it, even when it comes to like research and development or the innovation in the brand, I'm the one who's thinking up the products. And then I reach out to Jen, the scientist that we work with. And then I'm like, okay, would, would this work or does that work? And then 
they come back to you and tell you no, or maybe <laughs> and we have to, and then it's all about testing and playing around with stuff, which is, you know, that's why I'm like, now I'm like, I wish I had like a lab in my house where I feel like I could just be making yes. stuff all day long to try it. So the goal is eventually to have more stuff, but we're really, someone gave me some excellent advice, another entrepreneur early on and was just to stay like laser focused, the most simplest of the problems that you wanted to solve. And right now I think it is lipsticks for us and it's proven to be a successful item that we can sell and that people love. So I think we're, we're just staying in that lane for now, but the next product that we are working on for sure that's in, in the pipe is these contour foundation sticks, which are something that we have not made or don't have at all yet. And we're using and we're going to market this obviously differently, but it's using like agricultural waste as one of the ingredients. So trying to really pull from and work and really do this whole sustainability thing is like, I think is properly and as best to the best of our ability as possible. So that's the ultimate goal. So like pulling the ideas to like, Take, if you think about so many products that are made, there's so many byproducts that come from products that are being made. So how can we repurpose, reuse? And it's like that whole just sitting down sometimes and getting really creative and thinking about things like if this wasn't made this way, or if there's this waste coming from this, what could we do and how could we do that? And like I said, I have no experience, number one, in the beauty industry <laughs> and number two in like, I guess the science, the science background of, of making cosmetics. So it's like, I'm this outsider that's just coming up with these ideas and hopefully having the right people around so that we can get them made. And you make all of them in Canada. Yes. Yeah. When you say agricultural waste... Yeah. I'm thinking poop. <laughs> well, that's why we definitely, when you're a marketer, you know, where you, that language has to be changed because that's, that's what I said um, in our first meeting. I was like, there's no way anyone's going to want to put crap on their face, <laughs> right? Like literally. So it is actually, so think of, I always use this example because it's the best one. The essential oils industry, we know they're extracting, which is a really unsustainable industry. They're extracting like say 15 mil lemon oil, but discarding like 50 lemons. Or when wow. Have, and then when they have to use rose oil or rose and they're extracting from roses and you think of the amount of land that for one it takes to produce that amount of rose oil or we know a lot of products are going to have like rose water and I'm and I'm only using that because when it comes to sustainability issues they're using such a massive land to create this products and then pull like this tiny amount of oil or extraction out of the product and it's really not a sustainable model when we know but this is a really a big part of the education as a brand that we have to do as we move down this new phase is marketing biotechnologies and how it's not necessarily a bad thing that we can recreate stuff in lab that will not harm the planet as much as using the natural, quote unquote, natural ingredient would have, right? So it's about finding the best solution and the best product that is efficacious and works well on both sides. So, you know, works great on our skin and doesn't harm us and then doesn't harm the planet. And that is, you know, it's this crazy new space that I think a lot of people in the beauty industry are trying to figure out. Hmm. That would be a great way to get PR too. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, so right now the, the, the contour foundation sticks are using 
an ingredient that's coming from lumber waste. So trees, think of them all being mulched and chopped yeah. up. Yeah. So that's what is one of the ingredients in our new contour and foundation sticks. Um, and it's a great Canadian company as well that is the one who is producing. And, and, and that's the thing I always say to people. I'm not this brilliant, innovative person. I'm just trying to find other brilliant people that are innovative and making awesome ingredients that we could put into products, right? So what does that, that ingredient replace? Yeah, that's a good question. I wouldn't even know. I would think it replaces one of the main like if it say I'm, I know from lipsticks say castor oil right is one of the main ingredients a lot of times so whatever the whatever the main main ingredient or it's one of the solids I'm like looking at like <laughs> back to my but it's one of the main solid ingredients okay something substantial right because what's the point if it's not and that's what you know that's interesting what I'm learning without having any background in this is like a lot of times we can market products. And that's where as a brand, I'm trying to do it the, like properly. We can say something, for instance, has aloe, and then there's no regulatory or compliance mm-hmm. issues, and you can have aloe in it. And how, if you think of the efficacy of aloe or what it's actually going to do, and then someone can put on their product according to like the laws allow this and say aloe, and it does this, yay. But then they could have like 0.00% of it, yes. and it really Will that amount actually do the thing that they think it's going to do? Probably. We know it won't. We know the, like that's the truth. It won't. But we're allowed to legally market it that way, which is super frustrating. But there's, I mean, there's more good news in that whole area as well. There's people like the founder of a brand in the United States who's actually doing tons of work in terms of creating policies in the, with the U.S. government right now and bills that will hopefully change the way we we market our goods. Right. Mm-hmm. Who's that? Greg Renfrew from the beauty counter. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look into that because, yeah, this has been something that has... Like the Wild West sometimes when you think about it. crazy. Like you have to self-regulate every product because mm-hmm. there isn't. And when you look at the ingredients in some of the products that we're putting on our bodies, I mean, I'm, I'm always going through my family's, <laughs> my family's cupboards and throwing things out because I'm like, yeah, you're not putting this on your face. Do you know what this ingredient is? It's like the ingredients that they're allowed to put in things and then the way that they're allowed to go back and market it is just mind-blowing. Yeah. And I mean, it works both ways because for a long time, there's a lot of ingredients that aren't, I believe in clinical data, right? Like data to like, and as mm-hmm. a brand, right now, we use data for everything. So to me, we need data, we need papers, and we need clinical papers based on actual trials and tests and studies that prove things, right? Then I will have conversations with people about stuff because then I'm like, it's real. So sometimes we have a lot of this anecdotal information. And unfortunately, we have this multi-billion dollar industry in wellness that uses a lot of anecdotal marketing, which is not real. It's like one person said this happened to them, but that's not a real case study. You're like, you have to do it scientifically like and properly with real test groups and real people and mm-hmm. uh, different individuals from all different backgrounds. So um, I don't know. It's, I'm, I am getting frustrated as, I guess, an outsider coming into this, understanding how, I guess, much chaos it is. But it's, I think I'm happy that, you know, you do, you read, 
more information on people that are trying to make the changes and create policies around things, which will be helpful because then there's going to be some rules and rules are great sometimes when um, rules are good and rules are bad, right? But then it'll help, I guess, in terms for consumers, like that's who it's affecting Mm -hmm. the most. There's, it's, there's so much misinformation that as a consumer, I'm like, well, what the heck, what do you believe, right? What's true? What isn't? So, and then now as a brand, I hold an enormous responsibility to be sure we're telling the truth. And I mean, we're in a day and age where if you're not, you're going to be in big trouble anyway. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's funny that you, that you say that because yeah, sometimes we automatically think that natural is better. Yes. And it, it not, it's not necessarily true. Right. Cause there's, and then there's like, there's whole green, clean, natural, sustainable, and they all have different factors of why those areas would be better or maybe not so good, but they don't all line up necessarily. Or organic, is organic necessarily always the best choice when it comes to sustainability? Maybe not, right? So it's- Well, poop is organic. Exactly. (laughs) And then so is like, what is like, I don't know, always the best example for natural is poison ivy, but it's harmful. It's going to give you a giant rat, right? So like, there's so many factors to pay attention to. And I think it's, Consumers are, it's great because we have so much information out there, but anyone can write a blog now and then say things that are they even true, right? And I'm sure you, you know, you face the same thing when you're trying to do this. It's finding the right information and making sure you have the right people around you helping you find the right information. Oh, yes. That kind of stuff drives me nuts with the the recommending of certain treatments because both my siblings were born with cystic fibrosis and the amount of times I've heard that over the years. And it's like, oh, oh. This, this is a complicated terminal disease. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think, you know, if they're, if they were going to be cured by essential oils that maybe, you know, the top scientists in the world that are working on this would have discovered that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even now when I post things, I'll get comments on Instagram of like, well, have you tried this oil or like this? <laughs> It's really true. I think there's like some serious essential oil camps out there, right? So, and, and I mean, <laughs> yeah. all, that is fabulous because I don't want to knock anyone. If that's working for you, that's great. But we have to remember when we give out, you know, that it's like based on one person's experience with it, it's not going to work the same for everyone. And that's just facts, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a diet, you know? Somebody yeah, exactly. By the keto diet and it works great <laughs> for them. Somebody else might be awful for their health. No, absolutely. But I don't think that you, I would never recommend, you know, going against the advice of doctors for a terminal disease. No, exactly. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And putting that in. I didn't realize how bad oils were for the environment. I didn't think of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. I I don't know why, if it's because I'm indigenous, but I think a lot of times I read something many years ago and it was about and it was based on natural products and it was organic. Um, it was when I was still in the food industry and I had, you know, just thought about like the damage that I knew that was happening with certain crops of, of whether it be corn or soy based ingredients. And I was like, this is, it just doesn't seem right. It, not, it didn't fit or add up. And then I started, I think, paying more attention to that. And then you, mm-hmm. and now in the beauty industry, we have, what is it? Palm oil that is like completely destroying the environment, right? And these mm-hmm. crops that they're, the amount of crops that is created and in, in, in the palm oil is used in not only so many food-based industries, but also in the beauty space. And then it's one of those things where 
then at a, from a marketing perspective, you look at it, oh, that, that falls into when people are like plant-based, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, palm oil's plant-based, but it's destroying the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> so does that make it better? No. So it's like, that's why, you know, I'm hoping to do so much of this, I guess, education portion so that we can hopefully be a brand that's helping people be a little bit more educated in areas of what ingredients we're using and why. And it's part of what our our big vision is to build out this manufacturing space in Niagara over the next few years and have this sort of like, I always call it like bakery behind glass kind of thing where people (laughs) come and learn about raw ingredients and what's going into the products and then actually see how like I mean, this is an industry we know for so long that has been very kind of secretive, I think, about what goes on behind the scenes in terms of the cosmetic world. And I love the idea of being just completely transparent, like Mm -hmm. almost radically transparent. And I guess being like, what's going to be new here too, right? Like that is the one thing from day one, I was always like, okay, so what? Okay, we're going to be makeup or sell lipsticks, but what is going to set us completely apart from what everybody else is doing? And then as I've grown as a, as an entrepreneur and as, as a brand, realizing that these are areas that the customer is craving, they want to know everything about what's going into their products. So why not bring that to them, right? Absolutely. Why did you specifically choose the, is it a charity that you support the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society? So they're a like a not-for-profit. They're okay. an organization in Ottawa called the First Nation Child and Family Caring Society. And we picked them um, specifically because their facet or a branch of their organization called Shannon's Dream really fell into a line with a lot of where I think empowering Indigenous youth is really important in that is also when it comes to their education. So then also I, I got schooled in, in when I started researching and found out that kids that go to school on reservation versus kids that go to school in Toronto district or the Niagara district here, kids on res get 30 to 50% less funding for their education for no particular reason that it's just a, bat- a battle between political, uh, a provincial and federal government, which I was like, okay, that's crazy. So what I, I thought, okay, it's a great cause and 10% of our profits go to that. And it's something that now when I have conversations with people, many people had no idea that it exists, much like I was not aware of it myself. And then speaking with my own families and our school on our family's reservation, my dad drove my youngest brother off reservation an hour to and from school just because the school is just not, it was like there was one computer my nephew had told me at one time for like kids that are going there. And then I show up at my kid's high school here in St. Catharines or Winston one day. And I was like, there was like computers going down the hall that no one is even using. Like I was like, yeah, it's, I mean, these are obviously, it's just frustrating when you see how unfair that really is. Right. And it was, an organization that the the executive director, her name is Cindy Blackstock. And if you ever have the opportunity to listen to this woman speak or meet her, she is just the epitome of like morality and ethics. And so I feel really, it was really hard at first because it was like, who am I going to give this donation to and who am I going to trust? And then after meeting and reading and learning about her and meeting her a few times, I was like, this is an easy donation to give because the work that they're doing is incredible. And I'm so happy to support that. And then this year with the gift from Desjardins that we got for being on Dragon's Den, we are using that funds to start 
and be part of starting our own scholarship fund that we're going to run with another Indigenous organization that's going to help us give out the scholarship. So that can't announce any of that yet, but it will start in June 2020, hopefully is the goal. Hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Which that is like, you know, that was on the business plan for a long time, but you know, (laughs) new businesses don't make any money or very Mm -hmm. little. So giving out scholarships would have not been able to happen this soon without that gift from Desjardins. How was your experience on Dragon's Den? Good, good. It was, um, I say it's the scariest thing I've ever done. And I've really? Never, <laughs> yeah, I've never professionally pitched my business at all. Oh, so nerve-wracking. Like, oh, so I was like, I was terrified. I was really terrified. And they, they can were, be so mean. Well, yes, and that is, you know, and of course, doing my research, watched all the previous episodes that I could that were based on beauty brands or cosmetics, and they really hate that industry. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh no, what is this going to turn out to be? But even though no deal was, no deal happened, I had had already had meetings with Raven Capital before going on the show. So I went into the show with a term sheet, which is really awesome. And I know many entrepreneurs not, don't necessarily have that, I guess, that ability or have that in their back pocket and you could be frightened and want to make a deal with someone for 50-50 because you're desperate. And we all know to scale our, our businesses, we need capital, capital, capital. That's all we need to keep growing, right? Yeah. So it could be hard and scary. So I was really, I was so glad that I had already had that relationship started with Raven before the show. What was the offer that they'd made you? 125 for 50% of the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So any, it was, you know, it was a terrible offer and I would, I would, I would have never done it. I think even if I was desperate, I would have like rather go to like a lone shark. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> just... than him. But it was a great experience. It really was. The CBs, they're amazing. They're producers of the show. They are so kind. And I was really glad that the six dragons were nice that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that it wasn't too traumatic. No, exactly. Yeah, I think that Dragon's Den is probably the nicer Canadian one to Shark Tank. I think Shark Tank oh, for would sure. be really, really horrific <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, they would eat you up for sure. You would, you would, you would need to have all your ducks in a row, know all your stats in and out. And that's like the crazy thing about with the numbers, right? It's like, I know now I'm building out, you know, have that weekly dashboard of everything I need to see because where, where's all this, where's the money going? Where's it, how much is coming in? How are we doing? But that took time and that takes years to figure that out, right? Like in the beginning, I would have never thought, okay, what metrics, what like are, are the 10 yeah. or six that I need to know of? Like those things are, you don't know that stuff early on, right? You don't know it until you're, you're deep in it. And sometimes people, I think, go on the, the shows really early on without, I think, being at that point where you, those are the, you know, you need to understand that part of your business. And then that's, I think, the ones that do, you can see do really well and do make great deals because obviously whether Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, these are investors that really want, whether it be 10x, 100x on the on the investment they're making, they want to make money. They're in this mm-hmm. money, right? They're not in this to for the good of their hearts to help you build your your lifestyle business. They're in it to to make a lot of money. And that's the other thing with partnering with them for 50%. It's like you have a, a mission and if they don't share that mission and that that idea and what you're doing, then why would you want to give 50% of that to them? Yes, absolutely. You would lose so much control. And just kind yeah. of gets lost and the whole idea behind it is gone. Yes. I mean, to them, they would just see it as a marketing strategy. 
it's so funny when I met with a few agencies when I started working with some it's they're con they're like, oh, this is great for marketing. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I know it is. I know it is. And I know people get the, the heart and the reason why I'm doing it. They sense my passion. But I'm like, no, we can't let it get lost in that in that marketing space because then the actual the real reason, like our North Star, we we lose it, right? So I'm like, it has to stay separate sometimes. But I see how that can happen easily. Do you watch Friends, the show? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know that episode with Phoebe where no good deed, where she's like, you have to do a good deed without getting something in return? Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, 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 I feel good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, hey, that is, it's so funny that you said that because I just had a conversation with someone the other day and I said, I get to feel good about work every single day. Like, Mm-hmm. And, and just through emails and, you know, I get an email from a woman yesterday who she just watched the Dragon's Den episode and she's I'm reading through the email and she's like, and I'm so glad you didn't make the deal. And, and, and you know what? You have the non-Indigenous community because I'm white and I'm buying your products. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I just thought it, it's, it's fascinating because that I get to feel good. And I said to someone once, I'm like, it kind of feels selfish because I'm like, then I want to stop myself. Sometimes I'm like, am I doing this because I just like the feeling that I'm getting because I get to do this good work (laughs) and be a part of this. And I mean, it's not every day. There's the, you know, I do feel not so good when things aren't going well as every entrepreneur does. And then you just sort of fight through that and move on to the the next thing. And, but I'm really lucky that you get to feel good about the work that you're trying to do. And just reading messages from Indigenous kids and their parents and adopted moms of, of Indigenous kids. And the fact, it's just, I had, I guess I knew, but I didn't in a way how much power it would be for, or how powerful it would be for a kid to see their face represented. Like, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to articulate that and to quantify that, which as a a brand right now. We're really trying to do that. Like, how do you quantify that kind of impact, right? It's really hard to put data around it, but we're trying and some, we're, we're trying to figure that out. Yes. You're doing so many amazing things with this. And, and one other thing is just the educational piece that you're bringing. Like even the, some of the things that you were mentioning today, I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're bringing so much awareness. I loved the idea that it was just through a light subject, like your lipstick, right? Like that. These are really uncomfortable conversations. And I do a lot of public speaking now. And my, when I do share my personal story, it's, it's not like, it's like, I still cry sometimes when I say it, I try not, I, it depends on the day or the week. And then, you know, the audience, there's people in crying and it's uncomfortable. And and it's some, it's the reality of of the state of some indigenous families. And a lot of us have the same stories and but then I'm like, it's inter- I find it so interesting that I get to have that conversation. But then like through beauty, you know, you can, we can turn really ugly things into something beautiful. I really, really believe yes. that. And, and that is like at the core of everything that we're, that I'm trying to accomplish. Why did you call it cheekbone? So a couple of reasons. Number one, I think like indigenous people are known to have these really, really high, beautiful cheekbones. Number two, it was like always a feature, any human that I adore, like I love cheekbones. And then in more research, I liked the word K. And that was because Sarah Blakely at Spanx 
when I listened to a podcast like years ago about her trying to name Spanx, she talked about how the letter K helps people remember. So I was like, okay, what's a word with K? And then there was also in more of the marketing research of it that people with cheekbone or high cheekbones are perceived as being more trustworthy. So that was like another layer. So you know, it's it's hard. We just got well, we're working on our U.S. trademark right now, and we just got a letter back from my patent and trademark lawyer that they don't like the idea that we're using the real word cheekbone. And of course, we have to put in our in our trademark. We respond back that of course we know we we would never trademark the whole word word cheekbone it is with our logo, right? Because um, yeah. it is real word, and those are really hard to trademark. <laughs> Yes. So I knew that. Would, I knew I was. Canada didn't argue too much about it when we trademarked it here, but I knew in the U.S. that they would. Oh yeah, trademarking in the U.S. is a nightmare. It's extremely expensive, and then these new formulations, especially the one using waste, we're putting. We're getting a U.S. provisional patent on it because, as far as we know, no one's ever made this before, and we want to patent it. Right? Again, that process is really costly, but I think in the long run, it's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think the last patent I did in the States was 40,000 or something after everything was done. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I know. I know. I think at the end, because there's, there's different levels of patenting your product. So then when you, you just have to realize, and the, oh, she's, yeah. our patent lawyer had just told us, it's, she thinks at the end of the day, it'll be 100K. Yeah. When you're all done, it, it takes years too, right? It's not, but starting is what's important. When, you know, you talk to any entrepreneur, I'm like, if you start something and you're the first to do it, you it, you get a lot of recognition for that. So just make sure if it's something really new and revolutionary that you are the one doing it first, right? Mm-hmm. So in, at the end of the day, that 100,000 really is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it well, hopefully we hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, I keep telling myself. <laughs> well, and it's you hope because you you know there's once your product inky list goes out, everyone and any scientist could likely figure out how much of what is in the product, right? Like for for the lipstick, for example, I was thinking of originally. Obviously, you're like, do you patent it? And then you realize, okay, no, we don't. We're not using any revolutionary ingredient in that item. So we wouldn't be doing it on that product, but obviously something that's brand new that you know is not being used, you, that's where you'd want to think about patents. The difficult thing with patents is that they can just change something ever so slightly and then still knock it off. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Which has been something that's... Yes. That needs to change. <laughs> Well, yeah, I know. And I don't know how, I mean, that's a whole other policy issue. Right? <laughs> There's so many issues around everything that when you realize, when you di- once you dive into entrepreneurship, you're like, oh my goodness, the policies around this are terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're like, who has the, what entrepreneur has the time to go try to change policy? Gratefully, this Mrs. Greg Renfrew in the United States does, but yeah. I'm like, her company, I think it's grown so much. She now has the time to do those sorts of things. What is Beauty Counter? Is that a beauty company? Yeah. Okay. Huge. So it's uh, not my favorite MLM. So I'm, I've never loved that model of business. Yeah. It, and I adore what she's doing because she's working on policy. But if you read the little business cards that women hand out, not every ingredient on there is like going to kill you, but they make it sound like it is. What? 
Yeah. So they have like this card of their 12 dirty 12, they call it. It's essentially, and this is not to knock a house mom because we all need to make income, right? Much like a lot of jobs people do. But it would be like if your mom, my mom always, my mom, I think sold Tupperware at one point or jewelry that were part of multi-level marketing companies, right? So they create great small businesses for women, but in no, by no means is that person an expert in science-based beauty, right? Like they're not, they don't, they're not a scientist. So I was frustrated when I did read their cards and the 12 dirty ingredients. And I can't remember which one it was, but they're not all as terrible as they make them sound, right? That some of one of the ingredients, I'm trying to remember which one it was, is if you look at the data in the clinical papers based on studies, if you're using this percentage of that ingredient, then it's okay. If you used more than that, it's not good for you. But then, you know, people do have the argument, well, I don't want a little bit if, but the studies prove that it's okay for you if you did use a little bit of that versus a greater amount of that ingredient. Anyway, I just don't like the idea of people that aren't experts in an area spreading that kind of information, much like the people that are spreading wellness through essential oils that aren't experts or scientists either, right? So it's scary sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I do love what the founder is trying to accomplish. Like I, I completely appreciate that because there's not enough policy surrounding ingredients and what can be called natural or naturally derived or mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. You can, you can slap those on anything really. Yes. Which I'm like, it's crazy, but yeah. Natural. <laughs> so where can people find more about you? So online that are on our website, cheekbonebeauty.com or cheekbonebeauty.ca. They're both will lead you to cheekbone beauty stuff all about ours. What we're doing now, you know, we worked with this third party manufacturer for the last three years. It's been, you know, they make great high quality Canadian products. We love what everything that they support us with. We're just on this mission to make everything better. And we just hope whoever joins our community can wants to join and help us on this path to this path of sustainability, which is, you know, there's no permanent destination that it's always going to be a journey. And our goal is just better, trying better and keep trying and then making it better and keep trying. Amazing. And if people want to help more with the cause, is there a way that they can do that? Where could they find more information about that? Yeah, for sure. It's called the fncaringsociety.com is their website. They have a donation page and you can go directly to Shannon's Dream, which is the portion that we support with 10% of our profits. But then there's many facets, which it's an amazing organization. And I would implore anyone to support that in any way they can. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. No, thank you. It's awesome. I felt like we just had a long conversation (laughs) and that I've known for a long time. I know. (laughs) 